0: On today's episode of Citizen the Pod, I'm joined by political strategist Paul Hippolyte. We discussed 2020 candidates, and of course, we didn't have time to discuss all 5th Eleven candidates, but we feel we got to the most notable mentions. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Citizen The Pod. It's your girl, Kina Zantel, and I am so grateful for all the citizens, patriots, voters who are out there just getting themselves ready for 2020. I know it's a year away, but we have to plan next year as if it's your 21st birthday party. And you know all y'all was out there buying outfits and stuff well in advance so I expect this to get on our game the same way for 2020 all right because you know 18 we was kicking some ass but anyway I am joined on today's show by my friend my David Axelrod I always say that I hope he's like (laughs) I know he's not offended because that's like gangster um but my boy Paul Hippolyte is back on the show what's going on how are you
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. And that is a very big compliment. So I mean,
0: you. you know, I'm not moving and shaking out here until you tell me it's a go. So, <laughs> you know, you you can be you. You'll be a kingmaker one day. I, I can already see it. White Thank House. You, back. you well on your way. You well on your way. So anyway, um, how are things with you? I know 2019, there are local races. I know you do some political work. Are you excited? Are we looking good for Democrats on a local level? Is there anything out there people should be paying attention to? What's going on?
1: Yeah, I, th- this year is really important. Uh, I mean, every year is important, but mm-hmm. the local years, you really get to set up um, the candidates and politicians who move up the ladder and so the people that run for county legislature the people that become your city council members uh they often move up to then become state assembly members or senators or whatever and they 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 end up in the federal government but if you look at the list of even candidates running you'll find that a large majority of them started on the local level julian castro for example he was the mayor of uh, San Antonio, I believe. Uh, but you have a number of candidates, as I said, that that started on the on the local level first before getting into federal politics. So this is really mm-hmm. important to to pay attention to these folks and vet the right candidates and making sure that we are encouraging and promoting the right people uh, into elected office um, in, in these off years.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've already stated, 2020 is here. Joe Biden is in the race. Folks are starting to pay a little bit more attention to who's going to be the Democratic Party nominee to run against 45. Donald Trump. Right now, the news and the media are fixated on the fact that Donald Trump has a close to 40 percent approval rating despite the economy and those numbers looking good in the scheme of things. We don't know what the economy is going to look like in a year from now. Do you think this is an important conversation to have?
1: Absolutely. I think there are two sides of it. One is that there are a number of people that voted for Donald Trump, even in 2016, without liking him they they didn't think that he was the most qualified they didn't think that he had um they they didn't agree with his moral politics or his character but they thought that he was the better choice than, than than hillary or they thought that it would it would help them financially and so that going into 2020 that is still his strongest argument is I come from the business world and I'm going to make things easier for you and your business." That is by far the the only argument I think that he's coming to. Um, and, But on the reverse, it is still surprising that with an economy this, this healthy, with us seeming to have almost fully recovered from the recession of 2007-2008, um, for a president almost four years in to still have... Uh, uh, an approval rating around forty percent is is almost unheard of, mm-hmm. and, and so I, th- that that's for his camp at least that should be very worrying. Um, and then maybe finally, it would, I know I said two things, but but finally, I think we're into another era of partisanship where uh, it's going to be hard for any president, Republican or Democrat, to probably get over over sixty percent, over mm-hmm. five, over sixty percent. That it's going to, regardless of who's in there there's going to be a a fairly large segment of the country that is not going to agree with, with whoever the president is. Um, And I think that's a trend that we've seen over the last couple of decades. Uh, We've been moving in that direction.
0: Mm, Interesting. I never thought of that. So we know that there's going to be heavy emphasis on Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, Florida, Georgia, um, Ohio, Illinois, Wisconsin, especially in the Rust Belt, in areas that Donald Trump only won the Electoral College votes, maybe by less than 100,000 votes. I don't think he won Pennsylvania overwhelmingly. I think the margin was really small. And of course, I mentioned Uncle Joe because he seems to be positioning himself as the guy to beat Trump. Do you do you believe that this is the approach that he should take moving forward, especially when we have an educated millennial African-American cohort that's looking for substance out of their
1: candidates? Yeah. Are you saying is this a good tack for Joe Biden to take?
0: Yes. Is is that a good is the argument for Joe to make that I'm I'm the guy to be Trump? Is that a good enough argument for him when we have young people who want more than just the argument? I can beat Trump. Like, we really want to know what are you going to do about, you know, the environment? What are you going to do about jobs? What are you going to do about education? What are you going to do about (laughs) we're even asking the questions, how do you feel about reparations? That cohort is smart and we're looking for more is that a good enough argument do you think to make joe the our guy
1: yeah so i i think that um the, the, the so the first part of the of the question mm-hmm. uh, or the statement um about which states mattered and and how close it was right um there's a way to look at the 2016 election really as a as still a fluke um, when you look at the and what the well documented now interference by by foreign entities you have mm-hmm wacky things that happens in in, in certain elections. You have the voter suppression, the uh, closing of polling locations um, in Wisconsin, for example. But if you add up uh, three of the most uh, of the closest states um, Trump won, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan, those states combined were won by 77,744 votes. Wow. So that's it's incredibly close so um, michigan for example is just over ten thousand votes um decided that 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 uh, election in that state uh so it, it's not a it's it's not a huge number of votes needed to swing to get back the white house if you're assuming turnout is similar to 2016. uh and, and poll after poll has shown that the number one reason why Democrats are going to vote for whichever candidate in the primary is actually their electability. Their ability to beat Trump is the number one argument that people are looking for. Um, Having someone that aligns uh, almost completely with your views but it's going to get beaten by Trump is, is not very helpful. Um, Mm I I think people have realized that and are, are moving away. I I think the, the more purist or the, I think in the last cycle, people were calling them the Bernie bros, but the people that were basically saying this, my candidate or no candidate, either, if uh, either, um, we're going to support my candidate or I'm not going to vote at all, or I'm going to vote for the opposition or I'll stay home. Um, I, I don't think that that is the attitude this year. And so a candidate okay. looking at the general election is going to be a, a plus.
0: Mm-hmm. So then the second part of the question was, I guess I'm asking, is it going to be difficult for Joe Biden to court Uh, Young people, millennials, progressives, um, you know, our criminal justice reform warriors, uh, because not Bernie, I'm sorry, Biden, is it going to be is it going to be a challenge for him to get them to be excited and to push a narrative that's going to get him over, um, you know, that's going to make sure that he wins next year? And, and that's what worries me about Joe. He he he's a centrist to me. He ha- he's he's no different than any other Democrat. And I think what Trump brought to the surface that may be ignored is that he was something different. And I think that's what the general public is looking for. The reason you felt okay voting for Trump was because he was not the status quo. So if we go with the status quo c- candidate, we, you know, will it be negative and will it be difficult for Joe to kind of s- reach out and spread out and become a new person and not be the guy we remember him being?
1: Yes, I think that's going to be very hard for him to reinvent himself. In 2020. Mm-hmm. I think he's going as the tried and true product. He's going as let's return politics back to normal he is mm-hmm. running on a platform of of the the division and the chaos and the corruption that you've seen over the last three and a half years or three years this is not normal Let's return mm-hmm. to politics as normal. Um, so I don't think he's even reaching out or I don't think he's crafting his image to, to try to reinvent himself as something new. I, I think um, the folks around him probably know that that's not possible. And with 21 candidates running, you asked, like, is it going to be like, how is he going to be able to reach out to young voters or minority voters or voters yeah. about criminal justice reform, et cetera, et cetera. With, with this many candidates running, there'll be different candidates that will be uh, that will appeal more or less to some of those crowds Mm -hmm. um i think his appeal is to an older more more centrist or more yeah more centrist older um voter that that may not care as much about or, or may not look at all these different concerns as their number one priority they just want to return back to politics as normal um and i think he provides that comfort to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think in the primary, how, how helpful is that? I'm not sure. But I think with this many candidates running, you only need to stay in the top two to three two to three candidates um, until you can build, until enough people drop off to, so you can keep building. And, and cr- I think, as I said, creating the sense of inevitability and mm-hmm. the idea that he's the general election candidate that can beat Trump is, is a very smart tactic to uh, mm. play. <laughs>
0: but does it inspire like we were so inspired by Barack Obama that it it got folks that weren't voting to vote right then you have the tea party and their inspiration right for them to make america great again uh, which allowed you know the growth in the president you know in, into a president trump I just feel like us putting all our... And you're right, it's a numbers game. Right now, it is exactly that. It's a numbers game. Um, But I think that there are people who may want to donate money, may want to donate time. And if they felt like a candidate was not going to even become one of those top three, why would I do that? And I still feel like, how how do we not lose that energy when speaking to voters? Because Democrats are going to need that 2018... Charge and surge for 2020. How do we inspire them? If I just don't want what happened in in 2016 to happen in 2020, because folks aren't inspired by Biden.
1: I, I completely understand. I, I unfortunately, I think that the best inspiration still is Donald Trump in the White House. Mm, yeah. Uh, um, I, I don't see. I don't see a, a candidate like a when and i know it's different now but when bill clinton emerged on the scene back in the 90s it was a it was a big deal um, when mm-hmm. he ran for president he he was able to inspire a, a new generation of people or you want to go even back further to the 60s of 60s of uh, of john f kennedy mm-hmm. um, and then obviously most recently with obama in 07 and 08 uh, but the the field is large but i don't see many of the candidates being this kind of breakout generational inspirational candidate. Maybe I know some folks have talked about Pete Buttigieg. It seems like the shine has already started to wear off of uh, better or Oh yeah,
0: I agree.
1: Um, I agree. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of just candidates running inspiration alone. And um, I, I, I honestly think that this year the push um, or the the inspiration is still going to be who can be Donald Trump because the the focus all around is how can we make sure that he's not the president um, when the dust settles yeah,
0: so I think as our you know second in line to this conversation is of course Bernie Sanders he is not new to running for president. he really made a splash when he ran against Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think more and more Americans are starting to gravitate towards his message. And it's clear because I feel like every other candidate we're we're talking to and about will be running on some shape, you know, something that Bernie had already said. Um, But it's unfortunate for Elizabeth Warren because I feel like her her positions are very much so similar to Bernie Sanders and they're not new to her but unfortunately because bernie sanders was run for president already it's looked at and viewed as like these are all bernie sanders's ideas when that's not true um she's been fighting for the you know a lot of those issues already so with bernie sanders in the race how do you think he'll do I've seen some polls recently that had biden at 40% in Bernie at 19 and everyone else below him. How do you think Bernie Sanders will do? Is there anything you think that Bernie should switch it up? But I'm not sure. What do you think about Bernie Sanders these days?
1: Uh, my feelings have ebbed and flowed on Bernie, but I think he is uh, comparing him to Elizabeth Warren. Actually, it's pretty it's a it's a pretty good comparison in, in the sense that they both have they both have they're both visionaries they both mm-hmm. have very um, they're they're constantly thinking about what where's the world now and where what's what is it going to look like or what should it look like right to 10 15 20 years from now and how can we imagine uh, a world or systems that operate differently right. i think the major difference is that bernie oftentimes has these grandiose ideas and and lacks the follow through or lacks the commitment to coming up with plans that are reasonable, that 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 could we could see a path forward. Um, whereas Elizabeth Warren, who taken taken detail, has gone and not only put out broad plans like her uh, college uh, repayment uh, plan, but also has done the homework and and really has gone through the details to, to try to figure out how can we get there and what could i do as president to put us on the path to achieving some of these what looks what, what appears to be at first um really monumental goals um and i think she's actually seen a resurgence of, of energy behind her candidacy right at least definitely in the media um with people like taking another look at at her as a, a serious candidate um, that not only has bold ideas but can follow through. Um, but when it comes to Bernie, I think he—he he, unlike Elizabeth Warren, I think he does. He, he doesn't have as much as to follow through, but he does have the diehards and the his his core supporters that are that were inspired by him in 2016 and still are. Mm-hmm. And I think he more than probably any other candidate uh, running right now really leads on um uh, really leads on the inspirational piece Mm -hmm. so many people that are his followers because they were inspired by him more so than they're dedicated or devoted to his specific policies and plans right so And, and last thing he still does have that outsider um kind of mystique uh even though he was close to being the party's choice in 2016 he Mm -hmm. still is uh, i think there's an article came out a couple days ago about him complaining about um the the dnc and and or some progress i forgot which one it was but one of the progressive groups basically uh targeting him and, and saying that his plans weren't weren't sound um and and he was going uh, all out against them. And so he still has this like I'm fighting against the establishment, I'm fighting against the party kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Outsider outsider mystique to him. Yeah. Which, which is helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely helpful. Um so let's talk about what a lot of folks have kind of when a lot of folks when they look at this list of people running for you know this nomination to them, it screams white male privilege because this, you know, there are this is the most diverse group of candidates we've ever had. However, we've got a lot of folks who don't have as much executive experience deciding to run because they feel it's their time to run, uh, as opposed to making moves that may be more beneficial towards long term progressive goals. That's my argument against Beto Aurora. You mentioned him already. Um, He's the shining star out of Texas uh, who ran against Ted Cruz, almost won. um, And because of how well he did mobilizing Texas, we were able to flip some congressional seats blue. We were able to get a number of state seats in Texas flipped blue, which is going to benefit folks that live in Texas Uh, when it comes to access to health care, when it comes to making sure that the top 1% isn't getting all of the money in Texas and aren't the only ones benefiting education. Of course, that's important in Texas, too. So, you know, the fact that he didn't run for that Senate seat is going to be a difficult seat to win because the incumbent is a well-known name in Texas. So whoever decides to run is going to have an uphill battle. But why like him they say the same thing about people to judge Mayor Pete who has some issues in South Bend Um, we've heard some activists out in South Bend talk about you know his issues with changing some laws in regards to um, landlords and renters Um, there was also a case that is that discussed a tape that was recorded by a few police officers who it was a racially charged tape and he didn't want to release the tape to the public, but there were so many cases that these police officers were a part of. It was only right to bring up the possibility of um, racism and bias in the way in which they move forward with prosecuting those offenders. So you know, we see that we see these two characters, neither one of them ever going past kind of state level politics to sign and run for president. Is this an issue for you? Are you willing to vote for a white guy? How do you feel about the argument that like this list definitely screams white male privilege?
1: Um, I, I guess I'll start off with the I- I'm going to vote for whoever wins <laughs> the Democratic primary. Right. <laughs> um. But when it comes to my preferences, when you look at the overall trends, when it comes to women, men, white, black, whoever that are that are a part of the party, the white male total percentage of the party has, has continued to shrink. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the people, the folks in leadership um, or even the, the, the folks running for president, so you have 21 Democratic candidates out of those 11 are whites. That's that's 52 percent of the candidates are sorry 11 uh, 11 out of the 21 are white men so 52 percent of the candidates the majority of the candidates running on the democratic side are white men with how the country is moving and and the direction of the country and folks being a little bit more concerned about representation in politics um and and not just ideological representation but demographic um representation and uh I think it is hard for some of them to make the correct arguments uh or Uh it's hard for it's hard for people to see them as having the experience that they want or need um and the lived in experience um as a for for a leader uh in 2020 um so Uh I I do think that's going to be a a problem for them how much of a problem I'm not sure because Most of the elected officials uh, or many of the elected officials in leadership are still white men. There's a perception issue that all the other candidates face, which is people need to look at you and to believe or see you or imagine you being president. And they are uh, they are of the demographic group that if you look at most TV shows or movies or whatever about who's the president, it's usually a white man a oh, white right. man. So they already have cleared that first bar of electability, which is can people imagine you and see you mm. as president? Uh, and so in, in that sense, they have a leg up, even though we're in an, in an era where we're really pushing to diversify our, our leadership ranks. Um, I, I don't know how much that's going to hurt them. Um, Even in 2020, I'm not sure how how much that's going to hurt them, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is a conversation that we should have. Um, I I know I saw an article today. Someone posted it um, basically stating that if these men all care about the male privilege or white men privilege or whatever, the best thing they can do is not run for president or step out of the race, Mm. but we have plenty of qualified minorities and women and and that they are taking up space that could be held by a, a, a qualified, equally qualified, or a more qualified candidate, um, and that some of the best things they could do as allies are, are step aside and let other voices fill that uh, that space. Right. So that's a that's a tough conversation to have, mm-hmm. um, but it's one that that I think has already started, which is good.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the minorities, the spice of life okay that are that are have entered this race all right you know we got Kamala Harris we've got Cory Booker we've got Julian throw or Julian Castro um, we've got Andrew Yang um who have all i think have done a good job representing um, their communities um and just kind of stepping out and showing that they are worth the conversation the fact that we're even mentioning these four names i think is a sign of growth and the direction this country is going in um kamala harris has definitely made a big splash you know despite so many people in a race she is raising money um totally Bert, you know with bernie sanders and not and biden i mean usually the numbers she's right under them in the poll in a and with you know right under them when it comes to how much she's fundraised we've got corey booker who well some people have had some complaints about he's a little too nice <laughs> um, he's a little too nice and andrew yang is just coming out of nowhere the fact that we talked about him um means that we are in a place where we don't have to take traditional paths in order to become relevant in a conversation as important as becoming the president of the United States. Um, Are are there any things about these four candidates that stand out to you? Is there anyone that you like, don't like?
1: Yeah, first, can can I add two more? Oh, yeah. So there's Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, no. I
0: know. I thought about Hawaii. her too when I was running down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's from Hawaii. She's Samoan and also the first Hindu mm-hmm. in Congress. And then this gentleman, people probably most people haven't heard of him, but Wayne Massama. I apologize for misspelling or Masam, mispronouncing his name. I think. Yes. Okay. yeah, mayor of Florida and uh, also running, or former mayor of, in Florida, uh, also running for president. Uh, Jamaican parents. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So another black guy in the race. But yeah, out of those out of those candidates, um, I I think the only two that I would probably include, um, maybe I should say three that I would include on the on the top tier list um, are probably going to be Julian Castro, uh, Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris and, and Cory Booker. Um, I think the rest of those I, I, people run for president for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's to win the presidency. Other times it's to get their name out there for the next book deal or to get a nice book deal or to get a what, whatever it is, to, to advance their career, to keep them in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a lot of there's some studies done on folks running for president and uh, it could be a financial boom for a boom for some people. So I, I'm not I, I'm not making any judgments, but and I don't know why everyone's running um, but I, I'm going to mostly not talk about, I guess, Yang Masam and, and Gabbard, who I think are pretty long. They're they're very they're, they're very much long shots right now. Um, but the other three, Julian Castro is him and his brother uh, Juan. They're they're really uh, um, sorry Julian and Joaquin. Mm-hmm. They're they're really making a name for themselves and becoming an, uh, a power family in Texas. Um, he he was Obama's secretary of the Housing and Urban Development agency, um, and kind of become a star as as the young Latina, right. uh, a Latina who can who's like the future of the Democratic Party. And I think even if not president, as vice president or as a high level uh, cabinet secretary. Um, I could see him in one of those positions. And so I think him staying relevant, keeping his name in the news, running for president, maybe getting on the debate stage and scoring some good points. That's going to be helpful for him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Cory Booker, um, his, his light was shining very bright as the mayor of, of Newark. And he was helped he, That helped him, uh, helped catapult him to the national stage and then into, to the U S Senate. I think since getting there though, the people have, uh, looked at more of his record and, and seen his overall, uh, overall views and positions and have soured slightly to him. A mm-hmm. uh, part of it is because of, um, his perceived closeness to, to Wall Street. Right.
0: To I was going to say, yeah, his, yeah. yeah, his connections to Wall Street and mm-hmm. fundraising which, dollars. Which and, is not, yeah,
1: which is not completely un, unexpected seeing that he represents, uh, new jersey right yes yeah. which is in the new york metro areas and it's 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 in the you have plenty of folks from wall street that that live or have houses or property or whatever in new jersey and so he kind of has that bleed over they that bleed over effect um they're in new jersey and and they're gonna they're, they're gonna have many of many wall street interests in jersey and so it's not completely unsurprising um but i think that has soured him to to the leftists in the party um who have who have been fighting against Wall Street? I'm sure we all remember the uh, the the the, um, the 99% protest and, and the the Wall Street protest uh, that were happening uh, a few just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to just stylistically, his approach. Um, of I think he's running on a campaign of love and we want to get everyone to love each other and I don't dislike Donald Trump I think he's wrong but when I I don't know it's just a it doesn't seem his message doesn't seem to be aligning with the feeling of the voters the 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 feeling of the democratic primary voters he seems to be running in a in an era not suited for his campaign style and messaging
0: yes i think we want a fighter we want a fighter we know who we got we we need a fighter we need someone that's going to go toe-to-toe with this man because he's not going to do anything but take petty digs and we need to know you can at least you can shoot back a little bit
1: absolutely Mm -hmm. so i'm leaving uh Kamala for, for last, but I think that's because it, as of right now, with these twenty-one candidates running, um, she's still my favorite. Okay, um, I think she has a very good chance of winning. I think she has. Um, she is not upset the the folks in the party that Marcina's um, coming from the the money side that that have um, a lot of the connections and the ability to catapult a candidate, but she's not a. She's also not upset. Uh, she hasn't upset a lot of people in the more activist communities. They may not all, all like her, but um, I know there are some issues around criminal justice reform, uh, but she's saying the right things. She's pivoting, she's moving to, to, towards the left. Um, but I think she, when when you watch her campaign kickoff, or watch her in some of these town halls or on, on these interviews, media interviews she's doing, you can picture her as president. Um, I think when it comes to the Senate, I believe she's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. There have been a number of of folks the high profile um, of uh, grillings that have happened. I know there's the Brett Kavanaugh one. Just recently, there was Bill Barr, the attorney. Yes, yeah, she did
0: a great job. She did a great yeah, job. So she
1: keeps separating herself even from her colleagues who are all uh, lawyers or former former lawyers. Um, and, and you could see her, her style and her energy and her wit and her, uh, intelligence as a former prosecutor uh, on display in these hearings. Um, and you can imagine her picking apart Donald Trump in a debate, just just tearing him limb from limb and, and and that kind of fighter, I think is going to work well in 2020, but Mm. also she has this side of her that is warm and inviting and, um. There's a, the 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 old saying that people want someone that they can they want someone that's present they can have a beer with, mm-hmm. um, and I know she had that little thing about her smoking weed in college which is a little debatable right now but but she does have the side of her that's warm and inviting where people feel like oh I can sit down and have a conversation with her I can have some coffee with her or maybe some tea like I can mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if she drinks or not but you you have that 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 warm side of her that I think is gonna translate well, but you have the fighter, you have the prosecutor um and, and I think she people can imagine her as president. so I think out of all of those candidates, she's definitely i, I think the the top choice for for uh, for the for the for that crew
0: mm-hmm. yeah for yeah, if you're looking for a person of color to run for president so there is there's been some Kamala Harris pushed back, of course, from progressives who you know, who are going to go back and look at her record as a prosecutor, as a DA um, and as an AG. She hasn't had to reckon with that, those issues yet. And I think that's really because how large the field is and a 24 hour news cycle. So, you know, every day we're talking about different issues and different topics because our president likes to tweet at 5 a.m., the dumbest things ever. And he usually just <laughs> takes up all of our headspace. Um Because, you know, if he's not saying something just ridiculously dumb, he's saying something so offensive that we have to walk around and cringe for the day and talk about it. So, you know, I think that that's that's going well for her in that regard. But I think just like Joe Biden, there are some things she may have to reckon with um, and give us better answers for and just give us the feeling that, yeah. Things weren't. I wasn't always perfect. There are things that I don't, you know, that I wouldn't do like I did in the past. But you know, I'm a different person, and I can change, and that's that's fair. All candidates are human, and hope you know they get that opportunity. You mentioned I like the Castro brothers. They've always kind of stood out to me. I think we definitely need to get, you know, someone from that Latin X community in the conversation and lift them up because I think that that is a community that Democrats have an issue courting. It's easier for us to court young millennials who that are here and that are, you know, in the conversation, but it's hard for them to get, you know, conservative, older Latin community members to vote democratic because they are very conservative and they are very spiritual people. And, you know, they're, they're not liberal, They're not very liberal at all. And, you know, a lot of them voted for Trump, even though he was racist, even though he wants to close the border to communities that are just like them and that were immigrants before. So I think we have some things to battle with there as a Democratic Party. And I think that Julian Castro allows us to bring that to the table and have a substantive conversation with those communities. And I don't know much about Masam, but I'm I'm going to look into him because I love looking into underdogs and people who listen to this show know that I always figure out a way to infuse them into the conversation. So that's going to be important to talk about him um, and Tulsi Gabbard. I think I just had some issues with her when she was considering being a member of Trump's cabinet at one point. Oh, yeah. um, and she she also has some conservative things that she needs to deal with. And I know there are some folks she's actually might be challenged in Hawaii by a state senator there yes, who's well-liked really. and well-known um, because she has some issues. But I think that overall, out of the conversation, and we, did, we didn't talk much about Andrew Yang, and I think it's important. I'm not really sure. I haven't talked to anyone that's a part of the Asian American community. I don't know if he's done much to court them. Um, I think they are definitely an important voting block here so I'm not sure what he's done to actually talk to them, but I've had a conversation on my show about him in the past. The Yang gang is kind of cool. Um, and universal basic income is something that should be a part of the conversation. Um, so I don't know. What do you, have you thought about Andrew Yang at all?
1: I think he's a bit of a long shot. I I Uh think running to get his name out there. I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what I'll find his candidacy, but if, if, he's uh, just like an issue candidate where he wants, um, He wants to start talking about a universal basic income. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's it's yet people are talking about it, but I don't think I I don't think he is the reason for it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas in Mm -hmm. other elections, you have uh, singular issue candidates that that have forced everyone else to talk about a certain issue. Um, Those candidacies aren't usually very successful, um, but it's something to to remember him by. Um, Yeah. But I think, with without a history and government, and uh, without, uh, a uh, without a seemingly without a natural base, I think it's going to be hard for him to to break out in this crowded field.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, twenty twenty is clearly crazy. It's clearly now the most important election of your lifetimes. <laughs> I feel like we say that every two years, but look how many people are in a race. And we have not even been able to talk about everyone. I mean, I haven't touched on Klobuchar. I haven't touched on Eric Swalwell. Um, We haven't, you know, there are just people that we didn't even get Kirsten Gillibrand out of New York. I mean, Hickenlooper, Inslee. There's so many people said, Moulton, Tim Ryan. There's so many people we weren't able to talk about um, in this conversation. So, Citizens, you know I'm going to have Paul back on the show as we get closer to debate season, the debate stage, which is probably in another month. I think there may be a debate in June. I I'm not so, sure. yes. I'm going to definitely try to get him back on the show because we can at least discuss all the people we know will be on both debate stages and two episodes probably because we've been talking for a while now and I haven't even been able to talk about everybody. To end the show though, Paul, I want to know from you, why is 2020 an important election to you?
1: If I can go back to 2019, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this earlier. One of the most important reasons why 2019 is important Mm -hmm. uh, in Monroe County where I live Is the folks that are elected to the county legislature and the county executive, they are going to decide redistricting for the next Mm. 10 years uh, after the census is done in 2020, because these folks will be in office in 2021. So you're talking about the next decade of politics in this county is going to be decided by who's elected this year. That's how important local politics are this year. So if you're not voting in your local elections, I urge you to reconsider uh, and, and to start voting and to start participating in your uh, local elections. They, they really matter. And then in terms of 2020, um, beyond the presidency, because that's going to be important. But the, the truth is that the Republicans have so much infrastructure because they have folks that are judges and state senators and state senators yes. members and governors and all the way down the list. And they all are carrying out their agenda um, of, of deregulation, of privatization, mm-hmm. battling uh, workers and labor and unions. And, and, and that's the ideology that needs to be pushed back against and to, needs to be fought. And in 2020, we have the ability. So New York State, for example, all of our state senators and state assembly members are up again. Uh, and so if if we maintain control of the Senate in New York State, I know the Assembly is easy. Mm-hmm. Um, we will control redistricting for the next ten years. That's a right. big deal.
0: That's major. Um, That's a big deal.
1: And so it's be, when the president's gone, whether it's Trump or whoever else is elected, they only have eight years in office. Whoever's elected in, in this next cycle will determine the next 10 years. So we'll go far beyond uh, the, the folks, whoever is elected t- for president this year. And so in addition to the presidency being so important with mm-hmm. getting the country back on track with the disaster that, was been, that has been Donald Trump, uh, in addition to getting the country back on track, it's all of these other offices uh, and, and uh, parts of the government that really is going to be important in setting the tone and the direction of the country for the next 10 years. And so unlike the last few cycles, I think 2020 really is that important because in addition to our foreign policy and, and, our, and our thing about the Supreme Court and all of the other issues that are right. by the federal government, even beyond that, you have your state and local governments for the next decade that are all going to be affected by who is in office. Uh, after 2020, when when everything is uh, when all the votes are counted, so this mm-hmm. really is at, at least in the last decade the most important election. And ten years ago, the presidential election was not happening at the at the turn of the decade. It was 2008, uh, about uh, ten years ago. So 2010, Obama was already in office. Mm-hmm. So it's not been since the 2000 election, the gear, uh, the Gore a Bush election. And so it's been 20 years since we've had an election this monumental. Um, and so if, if people have, don't think this is important, this, this election this year comes around once every two decades. Mm. It's extremely okay. important.
0: So, I mean, look, people redistricting. You ever hear about that word gerrymandering? That is when mm-hmm. they rewrite those district lines to make them more favorable, to a party as opposed to making sure that there is equal representation based on the number of people in those areas. Absolutely. So they will crack a group, they will crack minority neighborhoods to make sure there are not. there's not a representative that represents their views and their values representing them in the state and local and federal level. So pay attention,
1: or, be or woke to those things. Them, or they'll pack them all into one district instead exactly. of having them being able to influence two or three districts, they'll have a district that's like 75, 80% minority. So instead of being able to get two black people elected to two different districts, you only get one representative, but the district is like almost entirely black.
0: Wow. So we know the game. That's why you listen to the show. So you can be put on. Things are ramping up already. I know you feel like, oh, my God, politics and government's taking over my life. Well, it's so it's so much so a part of your life that we can no longer sit on the sidelines and just say, let those folks over there do it. it it's real. Like I'm getting of age. Eventually, I may have children. I need to make sure that what I'm bringing them into is not a hot mess. So, Paul. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate oh, thanks. you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: There's so much more for us to talk about. So I will figure out a way to get you back on so we can discuss this in about a month or two, um, especially around debate time. Folks, citizens, voters, patriots, if we can send 100,000 men and women to war, we can send 100,000 men and women to vote. We can register one person and get them to the polls, we can be a part of this process. Thank you so much for listening to the show. This was Citizen The Pod. What's up, citizens, voters, patriots? It's your girl, Kina Zantel. And if you want to know more about me and the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Kina Zantel. And also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Kina Zantel, and hit subscribe on all the podcast platforms that you're listening to the show on.